2: welcome to another episode of the Orange and or Black Insider Bengals podcast. And just how the calendar falls, this episode coincides with the brand new 2019 NFL league year. Happy Happy New Year, John Sheeran. I'm ecstatic. Yeah, I I, 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 I could tell you're you're popping the
3: champagne bottles and the little uh, the noisemakers over there, right? Yeah, uh, some pom poms over there, some streamers. You know, I forgot to put up the banner unfortunately but i think i just took that down earlier this year
2: well you're a little less decorative in the background than you were a couple of weeks ago on the program for those who watch us live or or uh check out the video afterwards you had you were quite quite the fanboy a couple of weeks <laughs> ago and uh now all of a sudden uh some things have changed yeah put those um, jerseys
3: away for for good reason
2: <laughs> i bet i bet uh, we're going to talk about a lot tonight, including what the Bengals have and have not done in free agency. We're going to break down the contracts to a handful of players that they have uh, brought on board in the first couple of days of free agency, and we're going to help. We're going to have help breaking those contracts down with Andre Parada, who um, you know he actually converses quite a bit for those of you on Twitter. He actually converses quite a bit with. Writers, He converses quite a bit with uh, NFL writers and obviously all of us at Cincy Jungle on this podcast. Very knowledgeable about cap situations, contract structures and all that. So he's going to be joining us in about 15 to 20 minutes. Um, we're going to be talking about kind of a hot take. John and I are going to debate a couple sides to one specific argument with the Bengals quarterback and some other teams based on what those teams have done so far in free agency. And then we're going to try and get to some listener questions at the end of the program as well. You can get this show on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Google Play. You can get it on the Megaphone platform. Uh, All of our stuff is on cincyjungle.com, so download it and subscribe where you can. And you can get this show, check out some video content we have on YouTube. Uh, We did, in case you are a little late to the party, we did have a free agency kickoff video and audio, uh, segment. It was about 20 or 30 minutes, uh, on Monday, we uploaded that. So definitely check that out. Um, and this is going to basically continue off of that. So John, Oh boy. Uh, <laughs> uh do we want to start with, I guess, positives first or negatives first? Um uh, let's, let's let uh, you
3: can get in chronological order of how everything happened.
2: So I guess, I guess, I guess we could do that. Um, you and I have not had a chance to talk about the tender offers that they sent out to the restricted free agent group. There's five of them. Um, I, I mean, Brandon Wilson, backup safety, special teams guy, signed his one year uh, tender there. So you know, decent move, I guess, there for for special teams purposes. Versatile guy. At least you know he'll be there for coverage teams. I don't. He got a little time on defense, but I don't see anything substantial happening there on defense for him. The big news, though, are the two offensive linemen that the Bengals uh, sent offer sheets to. On on the not surprising side, I guess there's a little bit of a surprise with it, but Trey Hopkins was was sent an offer sheet um, at the second-round level, the tender there. So uh, a pretty big compliment by the Bengals to Trey Hopkins in terms of how they value him. Versatile guy, played center, played right guard, even has some ability to play tackle, um, making about $2 million if he if and when he signs the deal there. Your thoughts on Trey Hopkins uh,
3: getting offered at that level? Yeah, I think we expected him to come back from what he did last year and the value that he provided for coming in for an injured Billy Price who missed, I think, six games or whatever. And But, yeah, like he's a valuable piece, and they've developed him for, for four or five years, and it's, it's kind of what they do. They, re, they reward development and availability, and he brings you know both of that and also versatility as well. Um, I think the second round title for this is like $3, three million, I believe, and I'm honestly curious if they're going to – Kind of put that to the side and maybe negotiate a two to three year deal for hopkins to become maybe a more valuable maybe slightly more expensive version of their tj johnson the 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 main interior backup who's active on game days um it'll be interesting to see what turner plans for him to be maybe more than maybe a backup center maybe he competes for the center spot if they have other plans for billy price at guard but yeah the the three million price tag is a little bit more expensive than what they could have done. They could have done the original round tender, which is a little bit less expensive because he was an undrafted free agent, but he's one of their top four offensive linemen, linemen players from last year. And so it was pretty obvious to keep him around, to keep your best players. Um, can't say that about the, uh, the the other offensive linemen that they tendered, though.
2: Well, go go ahead. You, you're yeah. teasing
3: it there, uh, <laughs> Alex
2: Redman. And by the way, anyone who follows myself and or Joe Goodberry on Twitter – Uh, probably got a couple of nice surprises. I know I got a nice surprise in that Alex Redman uh, started interacting with us after some negative comments we put out there on Twitter. But go ahead about Alex Redman.
3: I mean – He was an exclusive rights free agent, so the Bengals typically bring those guys back just like they did. Brandon Wilson, just like they did Josh Tupo, just like they did cornerback Tony McRae. So him being brought back doesn't really mean much and wasn't too unsurprising because it's just a one-year deal worth less than a million dollars. So essentially what that is is just a camp body, but as we've seen from last year, we thought Redmond was potentially going to be a camp body in competition. Then he got anointed as a starter very early in the preseason. We're going to see if Jim Turner's evaluation of uh, Redmond differs any from maybe Marvin Lewis or um, Frank Pollock's evaluation of of them of him last year that basically got him above Trey Hopkins and Christian Westerman at the right guard spot. Um, he's not good, and he probably is barely rosterable at this point. And, that, and this contract obviously reflects that. So I don't think much is going to change for him. Regardless of what type of new scheme that the Bengals could implement, I think he's still a very limited player, very limited athleticism, but very feisty. We've we've seen that from his his uh, Twitter rants. <laughs> yeah, and so feisty, in fact, that he uh, he's
2: notorious for false starts. He's so he's so ready for action. So ready, for action, so ready for action. Let's let's spin it into positives, especially since he's paying so close attention to everything we say about him. Um, yeah, I mean, at this point, though, I mean, I guess. based on Hopkins, talking about Hopkins and Redmond here, I guess where you go is you say, well, Hopkins got more money and had, you know, but he was the backup last year. Played decent at center like you had alluded to in the the wake of Billy Price's injury. Um, Came in for a spell at right guard. Actually, uh, finally Marvin Lewis, I think, yanked. Alex Redman at one point and finally put in Hopkins at right guard. I mean, there wasn't anything that was a wow type of thing there. Uh, That was more with Westerman in the, in the lineup actually. But um, I mean, I, I sit here and I say, well, and we're going to talk about another offensive lineman the Bengals brought back. Is it the continuity thing that the Bengals want to build and maybe they keep Redman at right guard, they keep Billy Price at center, or is this something that they envision Hopkins being the center, a starting center potentially, Billy Price being the right guard and and kind of shuffling things there. I, I mean, I think it's a marginal improvement. I don't know if it's a big improvement on a unit that wasn't very good. If that is the plan, there has been no indications that that is the plan. Um, and uh, I mean, as for now, and I, I, even though Hopkins is a valuable guy, versatile guy. I find it hard to believe that a team's going to offer up a second round pick for him. So, I mean, I think at this point he's going to be a bangle next year. So, um, you know, those two guys are back now going into the, their own unrestricted free agents that were set to hit the market. The first one, I think that came down the pike in terms of news was CJ Uzoma, uh, the tight end who, um, has shown marked improvement, over the, uh, since he's joined the Bengals. Real raw guy when he first came out of Auburn. Didn't even have a tight end coach uh, in, in college. Came out, um, you know, kind of made a few plays here and there as a rookie. Really grew the last couple of seasons and then has stepped up pretty big last year. Set career highs with over 40 catches, over 400 yards and three touchdowns. With Tyler Eifert out and Tyler Croft out, he's kind of the... I guess to be tight end, uh, option to be tight end when everybody's healthy, um, on this roster, but now he's making about 6 million a year. Your, do you think that that means that he's going to be their guy? Um, do they draft a tight end high? They are still talking to Eifert, but I mean, I know we can't rely on that there. So your thoughts on, you know, a pretty substantial contract for a guy that, uh, is, is kind of on the upswing, but hasn't shown all that much statistically.
3: That's probably got to be the key. I wanted someone to fact check me on Twitter because I honestly think that this is the most substantial or most expensive second contract that the Bengals have given to a tight end that they've developed in at least recent memory. Cause I'm going back to the history of tight ends. You got like, you got, um, like before even Gresham, you had like Reggie Kelly. Um, you had drawn oh, a blank on another guy, but they don't have a strong history of tight ends. And obviously if Ivory was healthy, they may have offered him something more uh, long-term uh, uh, or last year, or maybe the year before that. So he never got a big deal, but Uzama six, $6 million a year, it, d- it doesn't line up with the elite tight end contracts uh, around the league, but it still puts him in the top half of like 32 starters. And I think that's enough to say that right now he is their starting blame because when you look at a, an offense that Zach Taylor could run based off what the Rams did last year. They ran eleven personnel, which has one tight end on the field, well over ninety percent of their plays. So you're thinking, for most of the time, and that, that's that's just how most offenses are nowadays. Anyways, you have one tight end on the field, and for paying a guy six million a year, you I mean, look at the Bengals and how they operate and how they distribute cash and who normally plays based off what contracts they give out. He's almost pretty comfortably right now. That's starting tight end, even if Eifert comes back. I don't think it's going to be much more than what he made last year, if not even less, depending on what what his market is. I think they're comfortable with what Uzoma brings, as both as a receiver and a blocker. I think the blocking aspect is kind of underrated and what what type of run game that they want to establish and sort of wide zone concepts. And I think he's their best blocker that they have on the roster. So he has a lot of value with that, and plus he proved to be durable. I think he was dealing with a shoulder injury for most of 2018 and ended up playing the fourth most snaps on the offense, most out of any non-offensive lineman. So he was the guy that I wanted them to bring back. I projected about a 5 million uh, per year extension. I think the market kind of upped itself a little bit. So he got in that 6 million range, but I'm I'm happy for him. He definitely earned it. And I think that this was their best option for the position.
2: Yeah. I mean, they had four, four guys at the position that are hitting free agency. He, him being one of them. Uh, so, and then who they had, Without those four guys, Eifert, Uzama, Croft, and Matt Langle, who they had, aside from those guys, were Seathan Carter, uh, injured. Jordan, Jordan Franks, uh, who had two career catches, um, and uh, Mason Shrek, who has been either injured or a special teams guy. So um, not much behind them. Uh, so they needed to bring back one. They are still flirting with, with bringing back Tyler Eifert. Obviously, a lot of things have to line up there. Another bit of news, Cincinnati lost Tyler Croft. I think we'll, we'll, we'll kind of expand on that in a little later in a topic, but uh, I mean, so two of the four guys have already been picked up uh, and, and Croft got a contract very similar to what Uzama got. Now, John, <laughs> we, we... This this has turned r- ridiculous, and, and I mean that in a variety of ways, but... The big shocker is the Bengals signed Bobby Hart, their starting right tackle of last year, to a three-year up to $21 million deal. Now, it sounds like it's more and we'll talk to Andre Prada, like I mentioned in a few minutes, but um, it sounds like it's more like a 15 or so million deal. Um, still, I, I get that average players are getting more money with the inflated salary cap. I get that you got to spend to get starters, but uh, between that and between him coming back with Redmond, hi uh, it's,
3: it's, it's unjustifiable. It, it that's a great word for it. <laughs> um, no, like spending starting money on bad players is is never good. It's it's bad process. I think a lot of then. Uh, you and me, I think a lot of people were shocked at how much the market skyrocketed for nearly every position, like linebackers and safety specifically, when it, it, took, it took massive jumps. And when in reality, when you have an increase in the salary cap, like you always have every year, this year is 11 million. And that the first wave of free agent contracts, the salaries are always going to be inflated. This just happened to be a relatively weak free agency class, which made the the top available talent that much more expensive, that much more premium. So it's like the two factors com- compounded together to create the surge in the market, but they're could not have been a market that was searching for Bobby Hart. And knowing all that, it's not surprising to see, this you know, the same old Bengals be inactive in free agency because they hate giving out guaranteed money in the first place. And honestly, no, I think they're ranked, like, the third least um, attractive free agency spot for, based off, like, the opinions of 15 agents. So when you realize that, you know, they don't like spending a lot of money in terms of upfront in terms of two to three year cash flow but they have to meet minimum spending requirements what do they do they overpay for one of the worst starting tackles in the league but i'll tell you what though i'm happy for bobby hart because if there was ever a destination for him to maximize his earnings he found yep. it in cincinnati because if you want a simple explanation of how the Bengals reach that minimum spending requirements they pay for bad talent at a premium price and there's no better example than paying bobby hart on average of five to six million dollars per year who would guess that one of the most frugal franchises would be in the best position to fill a player's bag up? And but that's that's the reality of the situation. It's, it's not a lot different, in my opinion, than giving Bray Maluga that three-year contract worth about fifteen million a couple years ago. And like we saw with that, they didn't end up getting out of that deal until two two years into it. And I think that's going to be the same. Likely reality with Hart because people are saying you know it's they, they have a one year out but that's that's not how they do this because they like, they didn't get rid of Down Jones until one well, he had one year deals left Maluga was the same thing there's another couple of examples out there but they're tied to Hart through at least 2020 because of just how they distribute that cash and you know they already paid him with a signing bonus that's going to be prorated and he's probably going to earn the vast majority of it.
2: That's a great point because you know the two guys you brought up that the Bengals had that option and exercised it to get out of the contract. Those guys were at the end of their careers. This is a guy. And this is one of the reasons why the Bengals keep touting that why they love this signing is that he's 24 and he's on the upswing of his career. And he's got, you know, it's a player they can continue to develop. There are two things that, I mean, of many that come to mind about this situation. Number one, I am very disappointed in the fact that the Cincinnati Bengals, now, we don't know what's going to happen between Hopkins and Redmond, but I am very, very disappointed in the fact that they are giving every single indication, especially with paying starter-like money to Bobby Hart. They're giving everybody every indication that they are bringing back everybody at the same exact spots on the starting offensive line that was a very poor offensive line, especially the right side of the line. Billy Price, rookie, rookie. You know, first-round pick, maybe you think, you know, he had some struggles. Maybe you think he elevates his play in year two. But they are giving everybody every indication that they are very satisfied with how that offensive line played last year. And it was better at the beginning of the year than the year prior, but it really eroded towards the middle of the year. It was a disaster. It got a tiny bit better towards the end with Joe Mixon getting three 100-yard games out of four to finish the year. Still, that is very disappointing. The other facet that I find absolutely ludicrous is the fact, and go check it out on Twitter, a fan, a ticket holder, sent an email or or a letter to the organization saying, I don't want to have my tickets anymore because of this ridiculous signing of Bobby Hart. They sent an email out back to the guy. Now, to their credit, I mean, they're responding to their fans, but I have never seen an organization have to Back a, an individual free agent signing to a <laughs> to a season ticket holder, and, and not only that, give just poor reasons as to why uh, it's it's unbelievable, John.
3: I, I can, I can, can even... only give poor reasons for Bobby Hart because, like, like in Jeff Hobson's you know typical you know propaganda machine that he's spinning, and obviously I don't blame Hobson that much because he's basically told what to write. But honestly, that like the the only quote unquote positive factors with Hart is that he is young; he's twenty five years old. Um, it, it was probably his worst season as a starter because of the amount of penalties and because the amount of sacks given up, it was the lowest of lows for Hart, But everything that he p- showed that he was, it was almost basically predictable because he was a set. He was a seventh round pick for a reason. He was cut after three years on a bad offensive line for a reason. He was brought in only on a one, one year, $1 million deal off, off waivers, off not getting claimed off waivers for a reason. Nobody wanted Bobby Hart in 2018. Who won Bobby Hart in twenty nineteen after what he showed? Yet for some reason they gave him a deal that that reflected him to be a quality starter. Now obviously it wasn't at the level of Juwan James or Tynis or you know uh, 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 other you know market setting tackle contracts that we've seen giving out this offseason. But still they could have gotten him much cheaper. And I and I think from just a, a lo- logical perspective, bringing Hart back on another one year deal that would have recognized you know not not a raise but similar um cap percentage based off the increased cap wouldn't be the worst thing in the world just to have some some bodies at the position because they had four free agents and with jake fisher going to tight end a boy he being a boy he and Andre smith being 30 something years old hard made some sense to bring back in that sense but to annoy him as a starter because that money does mean he's going to start like i, I think paul Daniel jr said this possibly he could be a backup swing tackle not at that cap hit. not 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 at that salary not at how the penguins normally operate He's going to start. They're not going to draft a tackle in the draft this year to start immediately. Hart is the option in 2019, and based off the film, the aggressiveness and the passion that he played, and those are, those are direct quotes from offensive line coach Jim Turner. It's not its not justifiable. It's not its not reasonable. It's not logical, and it makes no sense on their part, and there's no way that they can possibly spin this to positive.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Bobby Hart's here to stay, and uh, that's, that's kind of the – That's kind of the thing, Uh, you know, was reported initially three years, 21 million. That's kind of, again, the total potential of the contract. I don't think he's going to get all of that. It's more of a three year, 16 or so million in terms of guaranteed money. But still, he is making more money in 2019 than Clint Bowling. Go figure (laughs) that. Go figure that one out. Uh, Before we bring on Andre Parada, there was one more signing that uh, the Bengals have made or re-signing. Uh, just let me let me rewind for one second. One last thing that really bothers me about the Bobby Hart thing, you kind of touched on it, John. It's the fact that it would be one thing if this signing took place after free agency truly kicked off and they felt that he hit the market, he actually had a demand. Now, we're not privy to that. Maybe there were some people calling it, calling him. I find that like, hard to believe. Maybe but, like
3: AAF teams.
2: Right, right. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, I just find out it's, it seems as if the Bengals outbid themselves on this whole thing. That that's, that's what really irritates me about that, about that contract. Moving on, uh, the Bengals re-signed Preston Brown. Now there's, there are mixed opinions on this. Preston Brown is a decent football player. Preston Brown is a decent player to play a a position. That's kind of a, I don't want to say a passe position in the NFL, but it's not really Unless you find an absolute franchise-changing player, it's not really a guy that you say. Uh, it's not really a position you say you got to have that position in today's NFL. Or you got to have. It, it's just not as highly coveted as a lot of other positions. In in middle linebacker, he played pretty well throughout seven games last year. Battled a couple injuries. Actually had two interceptions in seven games, one of which was gigantic against the Indianapolis Colts, but ended up. You know, one-year deal left the left the team on injured reserve, and uh, all of a sudden now he gets a a big pay raise, another three-year, twenty-one million dollar deal. Um, there are two schools of thought. Number one, the Bengals are absolutely desperate at linebacker. He is a good tackler. Um, he he's steady. He's not outstanding. So you bring a guy like that back, and you open your options up in the draft in the first and second rounds in terms of position of need. The other thing is. He played less than half a season. He isn't an outstanding player, and he gets more years and a big raise uh, on top of that. So where do you go with that,
3: John? Like you just said that the Bengals outbid themselves for Bobby Hart. They outbid themselves for Preston Brown because Brown, again, he was a second-week free agent signing last year. He got a one-year deal. It was off the season that he led the nfl on tackles like that means anything positive other than the fact that he just was in the right place at the right time but he fits the mold of you know the past linebackers that they brought in like a carlos danesby or, or kevin minter limited at limited athleticism limited upside probably no more than just a, two, a now a one down player because you're nickel for for 70 percent of your snaps so you're all you're only in, in three to three linebacker sets about 30 percent of the time so you're talking about a guy who's maybe going to play 300 400 snaps maybe even maybe 500 if he plays all of it but if he's if he's a part of your nickel sets if he's one of your two linebackers out there that's a problem unless he does end up going down to 240 pounds which i think he said he was going to try to do he played at 250 250 pounds when he was healthy and then he ended up getting hurt and like the one positive of him coming into last year was that he never got hurt so that there was that one thing so his value didn't go up at all from playing off off a four million dollar deal to give him a raise to seven million dollars seven million dollars on average per year it's it's also inexcusable it's not like it's not like brown is as bad of a player that bobby hart is that's not the case he's an average player and there is some general upside because he was talented he was drafted in the second round he is still 26 27 years old so there is there is potential for his for some good days left in the future for him there is potential for him to be better i don't think that 2018 is the best that we've seen from preston brown and he was a guy that was interested and, bring bringing back. But for that price, it, it's, it's still, it's this concept of them just spending money on bad players just to hit that minimum spending requirement, So they don't have to go out and get these top level free agents for, for maximum, you know, guaranteed money for maximum cash flows in the first couple of years, which they limit themselves from doing. So this is just another one of those examples of just spending money to spend money, but not really improving the team. Preston Brown doesn't improve the team any better than what they were in 2018. And that's really the, the, the genesis of the issue.
2: Yeah, and I'm I'm looking forward to the, and God God bless him, I'm looking forward to the Jeff Hobson article that says <laughs> that they're very, very close to finishing spending money this offseason because they spent a lot of money on a starting right tackle and a lot of money on a starting linebacker. The two areas that they needed to shore up. Um, that's no offense to Jeff. I love Jeff Hobson, but... Uh, great dude, great that's, dude. He is, he is an awesome guy, uh, but... I mean, he's got to he's got to write what he's got to write, and uh, luckily I don't have to write that. <laughs> I, I, I can complain about what he has to write, but uh, yeah, Bengals, Bengals. Uh, what's interesting now is what's going to happen at, at pick number eleven because um, now the two positions that everybody thought they were going to pick, offensive tackle and linebacker, particularly uh, Devin White who plays middle linebacker, that's that's now up in the air. They may go a different different direction totally. Maybe quarterback. We'll see. This is the Orange and or Black Insider Bengals podcast. He's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Cazenza. Uh, you can get this show on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Google Play. You can get this show on the Megaphone platform as well as cincyjungle.com and YouTube. Subscribe to our channels. Get our feeds. Uh, leave us a rating on iTunes and stuff if you can too. Help bump up the, uh, the visibility. Only five
3: stars. Only yeah. five
2: stars. Yeah. Yeah. If you can. Um, you know, help bump up the visibility of the show. We have a special guest, and this is a perfect time to bring him on because we're talking about these contracts. We're talking about <laughs> potential albatross-type contracts for, for the Bengals. We're uh, we're bringing in Andre Parada. Andre, who, uh, in case for, for those who do not know, Andre is a very uh, visible presence on Twitter, especially in the ways of salary cap, contract structure, and all of that. Andre, how are you, sir? I'm doing well, Andy. Thanks. How are you? I'm doing good, man. It's uh, seems like it's long overdue since I've had you on the show. It's uh, I I I feel bad about that, but I'm glad that we are finally having you on. And uh, what what better way to to indoctrinate you into this show, I guess, with with what's been happening? Um, your initial reaction? I we were kind of talking mostly about Preston Brown and and Bobby Hart, obviously. Um, before before you came on, um, y- your thoughts on your thoughts on Bobby Hart? I guess uh, why not why not continue the pile up uh, <laughs> on on the guy? And uh, your thoughts on the structure of the contract? Sure. Well,
0: uh, thanks for having me on. Um, I should begin by saying happy uh, new league year.
2: <laughs> yeah. Happy,
0: happy Groundhog
2: Day. Yeah. Thanks. Exactly.
0: Um, So, thanks for having me on. Um, Yeah, with regard to Bobby Hart, you know, one thing I want to make clear is there's nothing personal against Bobby Hart. I feel, you know, Bengals fans oftentimes we we feel the need to somewhat have to qualify that. We're not attacking the person here. We're just talking about obviously his play on the field, his caliber of of play, and then obviously just from my perspective, just assessing the contract that uh, he signed. And I don't blame Bobby Hart for signing the contract, he didn't offer it to himself. Probably is a very good agent, uh, you know, so <laughs>
3: the it, best uh, agent. Him whatsoever. it's it's certainly highly questionable, to, to put it lightly.
0: Uh, he played, just to put it in perspective, as I think we all know, for the 2018 season, uh, on a one-year deal, barely over a million dollars, it was $1,005,000, which was cap hit and cash. Um, so obviously, he signed essentially a three-year deal. There was a potential out after one year, but we all know the Bengals typically don't operate that way, even though the dead money impact would be quite minimal next year and they would realize a cap saving. So he's likely to re- the right tackle obviously for next year twenty nineteen and, and likely thereafter, depending obviously what they do in the draft. But to me it's just the value with regard to, with respect to what he
1: brings to the field, uh, from an ability perspective is just is just
0: lacking. It's to put it bluntly, uh, you know, it's a it's a complete head scratcher that they would go out on the first official day, I guess, of the tampering period and, and announced the deal. You
1: know, he was an internal free agent, so he could technically, he wouldn't have to wait technically till 4 p.m. today
0: to sign it, which he didn't I think he signed it Tuesday morning. But, you know, I can't imagine that there would have been a sizable market for his services. And I mentioned on Twitter six years ago when Andre Smith, who, you know, he struggled his first couple years coming out of Alabama in '09. He was overweight. But Andre Smith, from a technical perspective, and you guys can probably speak better than I can on this, I mean, he was he was a much better tack, uh, right tackle right. than Bobby Hart ever was in his career. And in the 2013 offseason, the Bengals dug their heels in. They, they had an offer on the table, and you know they challenged essentially Smith to go out and see if there was a market elsewhere for him. It pretty much wasn't. And I think the story goes that it was day two of the draft, and Smith comes to the, to the Bengals' uh, headquarters in the stadium to, to sign his contract. And I think the story goes something where Mike Brown says they were ready to draft Menelik Watson, the right tackle at Florida
1: State. Mm-hmm.
0: So I'm not even sure if he's still in the league at this point. But uh, you know, the point being that the Bengals, at that point, six years ago, um, maximized their value with what they saw with Andre Smith. And they ended up signing him to a three-year, $18 million contract so $6 million per year. And that was a reasonable deal, and Smith played well actually uh, throughout the course of those three years. And then he ended up, ended up leaving of course going to Arizona, and then he came back you know, last year. I think he was spent some time in Minnesota as well. So from that perspective, you know, the Bengals back then were, were digging in their heels, and they weren't getting into the demand. There was no rush to sign him back then, and there was a potential gaping hole if Smith would have left, because obviously they, they were considering drafting a tackle in round two or three, day two of that draft. Uh, so I'm not sure why there was the rush necessarily to sign Bobby Hart? Again, no offense to him as a player, he didn't offer himself the contract. Good for him. I'm all for players, by the way, maximizing their earning potential, especially in football. The contracts are not guaranteed. It's a brutally violent sport, as we all know. So go ahead, maximize your earnings. That's great. Happy for Bobby Hart personally, but just from a value perspective, it is it is an absolute head scratcher, and it, it makes zero sense. There, objectively speaking. In all honesty, there is no way to justify this contract, to put it frankly. No other team would have given him this deal. And if, and if that happened, if that got to the point where Bobby Hart and his agent said, hey, we have this off on the table, that's when the Bengals have to just wash their hands and say, okay, good luck, thanks you for your services, and best of luck. You have to be able to walk away from that deal. They, they're giving him, from a cash perspective, $7.4 million in 20, 2019. He has the possibility to earn, uh, I think, 500000 in incentives, so those don't count against the cap, I guess, because they're considered not likely to be earned. So he's, he's got a $7.4 million cash outlay this year and a $5.4 million cap hit. I mean, the cap is at an all-time high. The Bengals have a lot of cap space. But with that said, the, the value just isn't there. You look at the guy in his caliber of play. He, he, was, he's, he was abused in certain games last year. I mean, he had flashes of, I guess, okayness. Uh, where he was, you know, slightly above average in certain games, but overall, I just don't see what either the coaching staff or the front office, whoever combined to make this decision and pull the trigger on this deal is, it it leaves a lot to be desired. It really does. And uh, ultimately, you find a player now who I doubt they're going to give him much competition unless they they draft a tackle at 11 or at 42 in round two, but you just handed this guy the right tackle position. And, Pretty much, there's likely to be no competition. And the right tackle position is still a need. I mean, you can't, I'm not sure how they can rest easy at night thinking, okay, we've solidified the position. And then the last thing I'll say is today, obviously, there was news that broke that Darrell Williams, the right tackle, former fourth-round pick, I believe, out of Oklahoma. I'm sure, you know, dust off the scouting report that the team had for him coming out in 2015 and say, okay, put on his pro tape and see what the guy did. So, Darrell Williams was limited to one game last year, I think he hurt his knees, during the first game last season. Mm-hmm. So he didn't even play out He didn't play the Bengals when we played them in Week 3 down in Carolina. But in 2017, he was a second-team All-Pro. Not a Pro-Bowler, All-Pro. Uh, he signed a one-year $7 million deal this year, uh, today. So you look at that, and you look at Bobby Hart's deal, it, it's just there's no way to justify him. it. There's no way to justify that contract.
3: So you talked about um, Bobby, this is John, by the way, you talked about uh, Bobby Hart's cap hit and the cash flow in the first year. There's a difference between the cap space for teams have and the available cash that they have. And in order to bring those quality free agents that we see go off the market in the first couple of days, initial cash is more important than just cap space. So while the Bengals always end up being in the top 10 in cap space, they insist that they don't have anywhere close to that in uh, terms of cash on hand to spend immediately. Can you explain just to the fans why that is the main factor to how the Bengals operate in free agency and why they are typically inactive for the first week or so?
1: Well, oh, yeah, so that, that's a good
0: point. It's always important when you're looking at any contract specific and then the cap in general. There are two components. There's the cap, which is really just an accounting mechanism, and then there's the actual cash that goes on uh, into it. Uh, it's what the player is paid and then what the cap hit is depending on how the accounting rules work and how the structure of the contract or how the contract is structured so uh you know to use bobby hart's example he'll have a 7.4 million dollar cash or earn that in cash this year but his cap hit will be 5.4 the reason for that is obviously you have a signing bonus or other amounts that are considered signing bonuses we won't get into that for, for this conversation but a signing bonus is he got a $3 million signing bonus, so it's a three-year deal. So you prorate that, uh, you essentially divide it by the number of years of the contract, maximum of five years. So he's got a, a $1 million. So, for example, he'll get a $3 million direct deposit. Uh, the payment terms may be different. In other words, he may get half that bonus now than half in October or half at the end of the year. But he'll get his $3 million now. But for accounting purposes, that's... $3 million of the signing bonus is prorated over the life of the contract. So it really, from the bonus perspective, only counts a million dollars this year. Then you add his base and his workout bonus, and he's got a $2.5 million roster bonus at the end of this month. So that's how you have the differing levels of cap and cash. But to answer your question, John, it's really important to know the Bengals really, you know, there's a claim that they're cash poor. I, I don't really buy that claim. I mean, they obviously, they're not. we don't know what, what their books look like. They're not required to show them, but... Of the 32 NFL franchises, only one club is required to reveal their books. That's the Green Bay Packers because they're publicly owned. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I think that there's a Forbes article that said I think 2017 they, they had a net profit of uh, 25 million. So even if you take that, and, you know, Green Bay's pretty sizable, market, comparable market to Cincinnati. If you say the Bengals, let's, let's say even a super conservative estimate, say they're they're profiting 15 million dollars. Let's say they've profited $15 million uh, since the start of the new CBA in 2011. I mean, they're still sitting on a, like tens of millions of, do- of millions of dollars, if not $100 million in cash. So I'm not sure if I really buy the notion that the Bengals are cash poor. But regardless of that, they how they operate is they, they don't like huge signing bonuses. They don't like a lot of guaranteed money. Uh there is isn't a, a funding rule in the CBA that says the league may require a team to fund money for guaranteed portions, for, for guaranteed salary. But the interesting is, thing is, with the way the Bengals structure contracts, they don't guarantee any base salary. The only guarantees are in the signing bonus. So, you know, you're right. I mean, you look at Juwan James, for example. He signed up a massive contract in Denver. I think he had a $12 million signing bonus. The Broncos are literally cutting in the check or direct depositing into his bank account $12 million. About twelve million dollars this year. It could be a one-time payment. It could be again like half now and half in three months. But it's twelve million dollars. Then for accounting purposes, it's pro-rated over that deal. So the Bengals, I mean, whatever. I mean, it's the way they operate. They don't like cutting those huge checks or making those huge cash payments initially. They'll do it for their own guys. For example, Geno Atkins and, and Carlos Dunlap, Dunlap's extensions last year. They had pretty good sizable uh, signing bonuses. But they'll, they'll shy away from, like you said, this initial wave. Although, really, there are no more waves in free agency. It's just the, the initial, I guess, gold rush from a player's perspective. They'll shy away from that. And now, other clubs who tend to shy away from that, you know, the Steelers, the Packers under Ted Thompson, although under their new GM uh, Brian Gutenkiss, they're they're obviously going in a different direction. <laughs> other, fran- other franchises can point to that and say, "Oh, well, been successful," but we haven't won a playoff. The Bengals haven't won a playoff game, in Year. In almost three decades so to me nobody's saying to go out and blindly spend and throw away and burn cash nobody's saying that but for a team to adopt the same strategy, strategy essentially year after year of avoiding high end free agents which is fine but how about a targeted free agent a Jawan James for example a player like Juwan James solidifies the right tackle position yes you're going to have to spend cash because you're going to have to give him a huge signing bonus because to your point Jonathan those players want that money now they want that guarantee. Bengals don't offer guaranteed base salaries, so the way to do that is to give a pretty decent signing bonus. They don't do that, and you know you see the result: the, the high-end free agents, or even the, the decently above, you know, better than average. Maybe not elite players, but uh, you know nobody would say Jawan James, for example, is an elite player, but
1: he's mm-hmm. certainly
0: good, and he has the potential to be even better, to get better. Uh, so that's that's the result. I mean, you end up the Bengals will probably end up signing. In a, in a week or two, some outside free agents, just one or two year deals with very minimal signing bonuses, and uh, to me, it's just after after you've tried this method and the results uh, are what they are, I think a close examination is is in, is in order just to say, hey, what's what's going on here? Maybe we, we adopt a different approach.
3: Right, and so so you talked about them potentially or not potentially, but definitely overshooting their Bobby Hart's marking and kind of scrambling to get that deal underway. They haven't done that with West and Nard yet. And what we've seen in the first couple days is the cornerback market looks about what we expected. We have Pierre Desir getting about eight and a half million. Steven Nelson for the for the Steelers is getting eight and a half million. Justin Coleman going to the Lions for about nine million. So for West and Nard, his market seems about set. In your evaluation, is this about where you would, probably feel comfortable signing Darko art or would you feel comfortable at this price uh, basically letting him test the market and maybe getting a little bit more than those guys?
0: Yeah, I'd be comfortable. I mean, Justin Coleman, you, you nailed it with all those guys. I would also at Buster Screen. He's, he's on the low end of that. Buster Screen signed a three-year $16.5 million deal, um, and that averages $5.5 million. Uh, and that's obviously the low end. Denard and his agent aren't aren't going to sign that type of deal. But yeah, I mean, I'd be comfortable signing a, agreeing to a four year, thirty six million dollars deal, the Justin Coleman deal. Uh, Denard may want slightly more because there's talk out there that he may view himself as an outside corner. Uh, but for the slot corner, the nickel corner, essentially, that market is is pretty well established. And
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, this year, um, you know, the, the outside corner market is kind of uh, slow here. Uh, to kind of take off, kind of like the safety market last year, although the safety market last year really really took its time uh, to get going. But uh, there are there have been some some corners that you've mentioned. You've mentioned the right guys here that are right within range of what I think is Denard's value. And to be quite honest, Dark Denard was definitely the highest. There's just no way to look at it otherwise. Dark West Denard was the most prioritized internal free agent for the Bengals. So I, I can guarantee you they've made an offer. They may have even upped the offer, sweetened it a little bit, but what they're doing with Bernard now is he's not signed and we really haven't heard anything about him or forget. It's essentially the Andre Smith situation playing out that I referenced earlier in 2013. There's no way that they haven't made him an offer. They've probably made him an offer that they feel is, is legitimate and in line with the market value. Possibly even close to the Justin Coleman deal. Four years, $36 million. And they're probably saying, our, Dark West, we really want you back. Go out and see what, else, what your market is and come back to us. See if we'll match it. And they're, they're digging their heels in with Dark West. Now, they could sign him. They have enough cap room, and you know, they'll spend on their own guys, so they'd give him a pretty good bonus and a, and a good year one roster bonus and a year two roster bonus, which works as, as effective guarantees, essentially. But my, my question is, it's just head-scratching again, why did not they adopt this approach for somebody like Bobby Hart?
1: Mm-hmm. Or
0: what was the rush to sign him? You know, you're not rushing to sign Gennard. I guarantee you, again, they've made offers to him. But I, I'd be comfortable signing on, on, on my Twitter feed. I think I proposed, this was a few weeks ago, I proposed a five-year, $43.75 million deal for Dark West. That averages out to 8.75 uh, APY or AAB. I think that's more than fair. That was obviously before uh, Justin Coleman's deal on the free market with the Lion. Before, you mentioned Pierre Desir signed three years, $25 today, a day. That's 8, $8.33 million a year. I think five years, $43.75 million with the structure I had on, on my uh, that I tweeted out a couple weeks ago. I think that's more than fair to both sides. I think Darko and his representatives think that they could maybe get better than that on the market, although it's Wednesday and some money's drying up. So uh, if anything, the Bengals' offer may go down, but it's certainly not going to increase at this point. But again, it's just head-scratching because he had to have been the most prioritized free agent of the internal free agents, and they're digging in their heels, and that's fine because they don't want to overpay. But I'm not I'm not sure how you can justify doing it to obviously a pretty good player like Dark West, but essentially cave or panic and just give Bobby Hart that deal when the reality is there probably wasn't a market for his services. But to answer your question specifically, yeah, I feel comfortable right around that range. You could probably even go maybe 10 million, pushing it 10 million a year.
1: Mm. Uh,
0: I'd be comfortable with that. At this point, honestly, I don't think. I, Year. Just because how, just because the market is kind of moving slowly, and they don't, they probably don't want to be locked in to like a five-year deal. Especially if the Bengals get them five years for forty-three point seven five that I've uh, estimated here. If Dark Quest plays at the same level or even gets better, they're going to honor that whole, entire deal. And right. year or two, that's going to be an incredibly valuable deal because the market's going to reset for nickel corners. It always does for almost every position. It may take a year or two, but down the line. You know, the Bengals are going to have a very valuable deal if they agree to a, term, uh, a contract like that. So from his perspective, at this point, he may want a shorter-term deal, maybe three years or four years at most. But I think a four-year $36 million, even four-year $40 million with a good structure for him where he gets maybe $20 million of that in the first two years, uh, I think he'd sign right now. And in my proposed contract that I uh, tweeted out, I think I had him at $21 million cash over the first two years. So that's 10.5 average over the first two. But then over the life of the five-year deal, it ends up averaging 8.75. And in my proposal, the cap hit was 9, 6, 9.6 million. I think that's, like, that's, that's a deal I think both sides can agree that's more than fair. But we'll see what happens. I, I think he ultimately does come back because I really haven't heard anything about his market uh, with regard to other teams. So I think ultimately he comes back. If, if he's holding out for maybe 11 mil a year I think that may be too steep for the Bengals but I see him coming back anywhere between like eight and a half million to at the high end 10 million a
2: year yeah he's a he's a difficult guy to figure out in terms of a contract just because um you know he's he's had some injuries the stats aren't eye-popping but he's a former first round pick he's valuable he's got a good skill set uh, particularly as a slot corner which is now such a valuable asset in the NFL but the market is just weird. For him specifically, because of you know his right. his his personal history, we're talking with Andre Parada, uh, expert on the salary cap, expert on uh, contract structures, and if, if you don't believe me, go check out his Twitter. It's at Andre underscore Parada thirteen on Twitter. Uh, a lot of interesting stuff that he puts out there, and he's a much smarter man than I am. We're gonna get get you out of here and with this one, Andre. Um, look. The Bengals basically set out, depending on how you look at it, which source you use, the Bengals set out, and they had about, I believe, 42 million or so of cap space, right? You look at what they've done so far and how those contracts are structured um, between Uzama, Preston Brown, Bobby Hart. You maybe cut into, what, half of that or so? Um, We know that the Bengals talk about the rookie pool that no other team seems to talk about and the end, and the in season windfall for injuries and all that kind of stuff. What do you see? I mean, you just mentioned the numbers for Denard. There's another nine or 10 million potentially. Um, what do you see the team doing the rest of the way here in terms of, uh, you know, getting close to spending most of that money, maybe freeing up some more with, with a potential Vontez perfect cut. I mean, wait, just, Look into your crystal ball a little bit here before you before we get you out of here, and and let us know a little bit about what you think you see ahead here for the Bengals and free agency, and and what they could be spending.
0: If I if I knew uh, what what they'd be doing, I'd, I'd be in a different industry. I'd right,
2: go buy some lottery. Right, because on, uh, You know, I mean, look,
0: we're we're. Hours after the official start of the league year, and everyone anticipated, right, that uh, within the, our first three signings, the new league year under a new head coach would be Usama, Preston Brown, and Bobby Hart, right? This is where we all saw ourselves uh, like a week or so ago, right? I mean, <laughs> raise your hand if you saw this, this, this happening. Uh, saw that. I mean, especially the Bobby Hart deal. Not, not, the, not the harbor on that one, but uh, to answer your question, I think they'll get a deal with Bernard uh, likely in the next. 24 to 48 hours because I think probably the Bengals have the best offer on the table. That's just a hunch. Uh, I think they likely will want to get a deal done with Eifert again. Uh, he he won't get a raise, you know, unlike Preston Brown who got a raise and uh, a, a longer term deal. Uh, Eifert obviously has the unfortunate injury history, unlike Preston Brown. Preston Brown was an Iron Man essentially his first four years. Last year, of course, coming home and he gets the injury bug to just. The Bengals, for the Bengals' luck. But I think they try to get something done with Eifert on an incentive-laden, incentive-laden deal. Uh, probably a one-year, $3.5 million deal for him with a lot of incentives that could push it maybe to double that to $7 million. Um, but honestly, what I, what I anticipate, I, I think they do sign a linebacker. I think K.J. Wright is still available. Uh, a couple of guys who have been cut and, and won't count against their the Holy Grail, which is the Bengals' comp picks, uh, which is really just the reason they, they love that. It's just, it just represents cheap labor. Let's just be honest. It's, it's a cheap draft right. pick uh, for them. So that's that's why they don't want to ruin those. But um, I could see them signing a linebacker like a K.J. Wright. K.J. Wright had an injury last year. He's 29 years old. I think he'll be 30 years old before the start or right at the start of the season. But I think he does bring value. I haven't heard much talk about him on the open market, so I think you can you can get him at a pretty reasonable rate maybe a one-year, $6 million, or two-year, $13 million deal. But honestly, we're probably looking at, I mean, this is depressing, we're probably looking at for outside free agents. Again, I think they signed Denard. I think they, they signed Eifert uh, back. They'll probably cut Montez perfect. that clears up this year uh, a little over $5 million in cap space. But it's, it's shocking that they haven't cut uh, Montez at this point. I mean, it's com- It's completely mind that they have not let him go at this point. I mean, you have his personal health issues, too, with his concussion history, and and, and he tends to show up out of shape and overweight the training camp. Uh, it's just shocking that they haven't cut him yet. Um, yeah, I just don't know what the value that Vontaze brings, unless he just shows up in an ungodly shape this year, which I, which I highly doubt. But I think they do find room for a linebacker. I, I think there's need still for the defensive line. Because honestly, Carlos and, and and Gino, they're still great players. Where, you know, they're pushing the wrong side kind of 30 now. They still have enough left in the tank to be very good players, if not elite players, for the next couple of years. But you got Carl, uh, Carl Lawson coming off an injury. Sam Hubbard flashed at times. He had a pretty good rookie season last year. Jordan Willis, to be honest, hasn't really shown much, if anything, his first two years. So, I mean, there's hope. Maybe he shows something in year three, but you know, after about two years of 30-plus games in the league, you kind of get a, a sense of what a player's going to do. And so I don't know you go in 2019 banking on Jordan Willis you know, Billings is in a contract year. I, I don't know if a lot of people think that you guys may have addressed it. I think the defensive line is a big issue. You got guys like Muhammad Wilkinson, who signed a, a one-year deal in Green Bay, former first-round pick of the Jets. I think he could be had on a cheaper deal, uh, one-year, $5 million, uh, with some, some incentives in there. But again, we're not looking at anything substantial or major. These are, these are going to be deals that are on the Bengals' terms. That are likely to be one-year deals, pretty much in the Preston round mold. Although Preston, yeah. I think last year signed at the end of the first week. I think as we push closer in the next couple of weeks, I think obviously they'll make a couple signings. But, um, you know, one guy I think I would, I would like to see just selfishly is Justin Houston. Justin Houston wouldn't count against Comptic. I haven't heard much about him. You know, he'd be strictly an edge rusher. But, you know, in a rotation of, you know, Dunlap and Carl Lawson. Sam, Hubbard, Jordan Willis, and, and Justin Houston, those are 5 edge guys that, that, are, that form a pr- pretty formidable group. Because right now you got Dunlap, Lawson, Hubbard, Willis, and that just leaves a lot to be desired after uh, Dunlap and really Lawson, and uh, hopefully Carl can regain his 2016 form, or 2017 form, his rookie season form. Uh, so I, I see those types of signs. to be quite honest. I mean, there may be a surprise cut here or there, but with, with hard in the fold and Preston Brown back, I mean, there's, a, there's room, obviously, for another linebacker. You know, K.J. Wright's probably the biggest name on the list. But there was talk earlier this week about Brandon Marshall. He really doesn't move the needle that much. But again, to be honest, from a contract perspective, the way the Bengals operate, these are going to be one- or two-year deals at yeah. most. Yeah. They're not, not going to be four- or five-year deals. They're not going to be guys that move the needle. And it's, it's sad, from, not only really from a fan perspective, but really it's... objectively you kind of take your fan hat off and just objectively analyze the roster and their way of doing things. You know, the point of free agency, the point of the offseason, is, is to improve the roster, obviously. And it, To me, it's just it's so stagnant. And it gets so stale. Uh, doing Operating this way year after year, signing these guys to one-year deals. Maybe you catch lightning in a bottle, so to speak. But... You know, I don't mean to be a Debbie Downer. I'm just going off history and going off what they've done already. I can see a KJ Wright. I could see. I'm not even sure the other linebackers there. I've mentioned uh, uh, Brandon Marshall. There's Jake Ryan, I think, from Green Bay, but you know he doesn't do much. I remember Coach Taylor saying they want to get faster on defense. I mean, how, how is that accomplished when he re-signed uh, Preston Brown? No offense to Preston, but I, I just don't know. They're, to me, they're. The coaching staff, the new staff is saying one thing, but what the, what the front office is doing in terms of their signings, it's completely the opposite, or at least not listening to what the coaches want. So you know, I see a couple signings here and there, but um, not much. I mean, I, I really don't think they're not going to be active in free agency. They, they haven't been. They, they'll probably re-sign it. I'd probably put that at 80 to 85%, that they'll resign in. they'll probably get Eifert because I haven't heard anything there, but that'll be a one-year deal. And then they'll probably get a one-year deal with again, like a D lineman. You got a Wil- Wilkinson, um, you got Earl Mitchell, I think. But again, these guys are kind of, at this point just another guy. Really, they're Jags. I mean, they could do well in a rotation, but they're not going to be anything to uh, to really raise the talent level of the roster. to Be honest.
2: Yeah, I think I think we're looking at uh, some more rental deals. That's kind of what the Bengals have done yeah. with with I, outside guys. And uh, I really see that. You know, sometimes they parlay that into a, you know, a long term. You know, like you said, if they catch lightning in a bottle, sometimes they've parlayed that into longer term deals. Adam Jones comes to mind. There, Reggie Nelson is a guy they right. traded for that that kind of comes to mind. And then you talked about linebackers, maybe Darren Lee, a guy who is supposedly on the trading block. Maybe he's a guy who uh, they make make a move for. Well, Andre, we gotta we gotta get out of here, man. You were awesome. We will have you back on for sure. We appreciate the time. Uh, I know you were juggling a lot with dad duty and all that kind of stuff. So <laughs> we we appreciate you coming on, man. I, I I really would like you to come back on again. Anytime. I appreciate you guys having
0: Thanks, uh, Anthony. Thanks, John, as well. And well, one last point. I do agree that you know the Reggie Nelson type trade. You know, Darren Lee for the Jets. They signed Avery Williamson last year. They just signed C.J. Mosley. He's on the block. Trade a couple of those six round picks. Trade one of them. The Jets will give you Darren Lee. Same with same deal with Reggie Nelson. 1st round pick. Under underachieved underperformed he's a local kid he went to Ohio State. I think he's also from Ohio if I'm not mistaken. I'm mm-hmm. in favor of that deal. Uh, but mm-hmm. thank you, thank you uh very much Anthony. Thank you, John, for having me on and uh happy to do
2: it again. All right, appreciate it, man. Let's hope uh they, they get a little more active, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I just want them to make
0: targeted signings too to really raise the talent level of the roster. Nobody again is asking for splashes, but you know, the talent level, three straight losing seasons, you know, you gotta add talent to this roster. Yep. So you know, they completely whiffed on the twenty fifteen class and uh but anyway we'll see what happens I, it's been completely underwhelming but unfortunately not surprising at this point uh you know hopefully there is some there's some surprises at stores but uh
2: you know we'll have to wait and see yeah and you would think it would be a little different with a new coach but i guess not real <laughs> quick uh, what what uh, they, they can get you on twitter is it at andre underscore parada 13 is that right uh, no underscore, just
1: uh, Andre Parada thirteen, and oh. uh,
0: yeah, I appreciate the kind words. I, I don't, I mean, I I, I I don't consider myself an expert. I do know a lot about the cap and contracts,
2: but uh, those were very flattering words, and I do appreciate them. And well, I enjoyed my time, and I look forward to hopefully joining you guys again. Yeah, well, you know, you know, a hell of a lot more than me, man. So uh, we we appreciate you have uh, coming on, and we'll we'll get you on again soon. Awesome, thanks, guys. Thanks, thanks, guys. thanks John. That was Andre Parada, man. That was that was awesome um really really knows his stuff and uh i gotta thank my co-host on that one uh he he came up clutch and uh not only arranged the interview but but came up with the idea and i i was kicking myself because i was like why have i not thought of that before <laughs> um so i appreciate you setting that up john and our thanks to, to andre for that um we did go a little long but that's fine because he brought immense knowledge and a lot of a lot of good stuff to the program um do we want to talk about uh, the quarterback topic, John, or do we want to do we want to hold off on that?
3: You know, i I, I think you I think you raised some good points before we recorded, so I think I think the audience deserves to to hear your side of this. Okay, uh, we will try and get
2: to some some listener questions. Uh, it may be very few, so if uh, if you want to leave those in the live YouTube chat or the cincyjungle.com thread, uh, you can you can leave those there. We will try to get those. You can text us. Or call us. Uh, hold off on the calls until maybe the end of the show. Like I said, we're gonna um, we're gonna try and get to these. The the number to call or text is 949-542-6241. You can text now if you'd like, but uh, hold off on the calls until later. Um, you can get this show on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Google Play. You can get it on Megaphone, you can get it on CincyJungle.com, and you can get it on YouTube. And we're live every episode. We we record live. If you're new to this program where you're only able to do the audio up to this point, join us uh, on on YouTube as we record. You get to see our beautiful faces for about an hour and, uh, you know, but make fun of us, ask us questions, all that kind of good stuff. Okay, John, so we're going we're gonna to talk about this, and guess what? It's another offseason, another Bengals offseason, and we're talking about Andy Dalton in the quarterback position. But we're talking about it – I, I want to talk about it in a different way. It's kind of a little hot take segment, I guess. And I want to t- tie this into a lot of news and notes that, it, that have been going on around the NFL and free agency and what we've heard so far in the very early goings of it. So my, I, I got to thinking, especially right after the Browns traded for Odell Beckham Jr. I don't know if you've heard about that, by the way, have you heard about that?
3: I did. I,
2: I did. <laughs> it's been everywhere. It's hard to so. be yeah. Yeah. Um, But after the trade, I kind of thought, you know, kudos to the Browns because they drafted a guy, number one overall, a quarterback number one overall, and all they have done is load up, load up, load up, particularly on offense, and surround and support that quarterback with talent. There was another quarterback from last last year's draft, Josh Allen, in which the Bills, yes, the Buffalo Bills, have come in, and they have started to load up with a lot of surrounding talent to help support Josh Allen. Cole Beasley, Tyler Croft, and others. Obviously, the Browns over the past couple of years, Jarvis Landry, uh, Callaway, Odell Beckham Jr., Njoku. Um, I, I mean, the list just goes on and on. So, I sit here and I see those moves. Yet, you you see and hear the rhetoric from the Bengals saying, Andy Dalton's our guy. We're going to, you know, he we're going to, Right, go with him. We think we got what we need. Yes, the Bengals have AJ Green, awesome receiver. Yes, they have Tyler Boyd, who's coming off a great season. Um, but they their big signing to this point is a, like I said, a fringe starter slash backup tight end, and a very poor offensive tackle. To me. I feel like the Bengals. Yeah, they've lied to us about a lot of things before. But I feel I feel like they and Zach Taylor and others are lying to us when they say that they think Andy Dalton is the guy they want to support him, and they're going to do what they can to to do, to move forward and, and surround him with a lot of talent. Now the draft has yet to happen. Further things have yet to play out in free agency, and I mentioned the Bengals have some good players at the skill position, but. As I also mentioned earlier, they seem hell-bent on bre- breaking out the same five offensive linemen from last year on a bad offensive line. And they are not being active under a new coach to solidify the rest of the offense. I, I don't know. Am I am I just kind of reaching and, and being overly envious of what these other teams are doing? Or
3: am I on any kind of solid ground here? Well, the, the one thing that I that comes to mind for me is that it, and this is not anything new. I think when it comes to the Bengals fan base is that even beyond past when Dalton signed that second contract, we, we still kind of treat him like, like a young guy, like a young quarterback who's capable of being better, even though he's going to be 32 years old and, and entering his ninth year in the NFL. And at this point, in your career and this point, and and if you have a quarterback well into a second contract, and honestly is not that expensive of a contract. I think he ranks like twenty-third or twenty-fourth in terms of average salary. Like this is the time where your quarterback's supposed to be elevating talent around you. He's supposed to be fully developed and supposed to be capable of leading a team and not have a completely stacked, you know, offense around him. And I think Early in Dalton's years, they did a decent job of that. In at least in the draft, they drafted Green. They ended up drafting Mohamed Sanu, Marvin Jones. They drafted Giovanni Bernard. They brought in a couple offensive linemen through the draft as well. So I think they did a decent job of that when Dalton was the age of Baker Mayfield and Josh Allen. And at this point, if they have to continue stacking the roster around him, that is a good that is a good point to bring up. Do they believe that Dalton is worth? Investing all the surrounding talent in him when they're already paying him like one of the most expensive players in the roster. It's not surprising at all to to think that a quarterback coach coming as a new head coach is not married or handcuffed to the quarterback who's currently starting for the team, and that he doesn't have a long term future on this team. And honestly, if if they're if their whole objective still is to build around Andy, and these are the moves that, that they're doing, it honestly could just be that they're awful evaluating winning talent and giving Bobby Hart starting money at right tackle and just maybe leaving alone the tight end position with with just Uzoma. But I think that might be a whole nother issue that you're alluding to. But I think that it's entirely possible that Taylor is not interested in starting Dalton past 2019. And maybe without even knowing, they're just tanking themselves based off their just poor process and free agency and the poor evaluation with the coaches that they brought in. Yeah, the other,
2: the other thing that kind of – and now there are signals – they're just giving us mixed signals, right? Yeah. I mean – you look back at 2015; they loaded him up with Marvin Jones, Mohamed Sanu, AJ Green, Andrew Whitworth. I mean, their offensive line was very good. Um, Tyler Eifert had. I mean, they were they were very very stacked. At, at an, a Jeremy Hill was coming off a great season in 2014. At that point, Giovanni Bernard. And right now, you look at it. Okay, yeah, 20 2017. They used a top ten pick on another receiver, which they needed. Last year, they they traded for an, a left tackle, and they drafted a center. So you got two new starting offensive linemen there. You also had two new starting offensive linemen on the right side from a poor offensive line the year prior. But then you look at sixteen. You let Whitworth and Zeitler walk. You you look at you just look at some of these things and you go, well, wh- which one is it, right? I mean, I and now, like I said, the Bengals gave starter money to who they believe is their starting right tackle and Bobby Hart. They gave starter money and and pretty big money to their middle linebacker, which is a big position of need on this team to Preston Brown. They have other positions of need still to address at linebacker and and whatnot. But those are the two positions that almost everybody thought they were going to address at, at number 11 and or number 42 in the draft. So now, what do you look? Defensive line, cornerback, quarterback? I I don't know. I mean, I I, kind of feel like they're giving us all kinds of mixed signals.
3: I I think going back to like the last point I made, I think if they were to tank, it would be somewhat of an ignorant tank where they feel like they could be in a position to win and just end up winning two to three games. And I don't know if that's going to happen, but yeah, I think all, I think most options are still on the table. I think it's possible that, if they were to go offensive line at 11, it could be like a guard that maybe has a future and outside maybe like a Dalton Risner or Jonah Williams, who may be more sued to play guard early in his career and then potentially move outside towards the later years of Bobby Hart's contract. But I think, you know, obviously linebacker could still be in play there because Preston Brown's not like the finishing touch of that equation, that position group still needs some work. And based off what they said earlier, you know, they still need speed there and they still need improvements there. And what they have there is not enough and we still don't know if onto the perfect still going to be around for this year. So I think most options are still on the table in draft. And that includes quarterback because as we saw just today here on Wednesday, Oklahoma had its pro day today. The main traction there was Kyler Murray. It wasn't Jim Turner who was down there representing the Bengals. It was Zach Taylor. And he was kind of eyeing Kyler, Kyler Murray a little bit if, if you saw some of the videos. So I think like we talked about earlier, this is the first year that quarterback is actually a it's somewhat of a possibility and not just the only position that's not being considered at in the first round in, in a premium position and as we saw from the jaguars they committed themselves to nick Foles, so they're probably out of the quarterback market we don't know what's going to happen with with the cardinals and josh rosen we don't know what's going to happen with the raiders the giants could be locked in with elon manny there, there could be a situation where you have one of those top two quarterbacks and meaning dwayne haskins or carla murray falling out of the top 10 and Maybe the Bengals, if they have Kyler or Dwayne high on the board, maybe they make a play at him. But regardless, I, I do think that this is not the way to, I guess, build a hand by giving him a piss poor right tackle and bringing back the right guard that was also really bad next to him. If the, if that's the plan, then he's going to get sacked 40 to 50 times, and he's the worst quarterback to have a bad offensive line front because he can't create for himself and he can't extend plays. So if this is the plan that they're doing, and this plan they're executing—it's not a very good plan—and shows that they have very little direction with what they're saying.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I was talking about um, the uh, some of the comments in the live YouTube chat, uh, Christian. Uh, since he, since he fan jungle city says the whole situation with Mike Brown saying he answered the fans call to fire Marvin and move on was a big deception. Christian Dillingham says, uh, how can the front office watch what's happening within the, in the division and think this is okay. Our defense was the worst in the league. Um, let's see. Uh, why is it that we all know this stuff, but the front office doesn't that's from Matthew Wayne Smith. Yeah, it's, it's easy playing armchair quarterback. Um, so I mean I th- I don't think I'm off too big of a limb there, but uh, you know I thought it was something worth bringing up, uh, given given what's been going on. We do have a call on the line. It's uh, we haven't talked to him for a few weeks. It's our good friend Terrell. Terrell, how are you, sir? how's it going? I'm uh doing all right, man. Doing all right. How about you? Uh,
1: I, I mean, I just gotta uh, say, uh, like tours, like the popularity type uh, level, the thing was kind of went down, you know what I mean, especially in the AFC and in the NFC North, if you really want to, I mean, I know it don't matter on the field, but I'm just trying to put it out there a little bit, and on a second, the other thing is, as soon as we thought it was wide open, I mean, just all kind of crazy stuff happened at the AFC. Not just in the North, just in general, in the AFC with a lot of the superstars in the AFC came over here. And then just what happened with the Browns and just everything like that. And, and a, uh, last little quick thought, uh, maybe, uh, um, Zach Taylor fooling us and thinking, oh, I'm about to draft all these fast guys on the defense. And get a quarterback and a couple playmakers and we're gonna get up out of here. And uh, and uh, so I just hope it's uh for or the guy from uh Alabama the to defensive to tackle. Maybe the two the foul towards maybe we'll get luck
2: with them two. Yeah, I mean uh, Jeff Hobson has uh in in two of his mocks that he's put out, he keeps having them take Christian Wilkins, the uh defensive lineman out of Clemson. So maybe he's the pick, maybe defensive line is, is the pick. Um, I, I, I just, I find it hard to believe, and I've said this before on the show, I find it hard to believe that Zach Taylor won't want someone on offense as, as some of his early picks, particularly a quarterback to uh, kind of put his stamp on things.
1: Uh, uh but it is so, I, I hope it ain't the guy from Duke. I know there's talks about him and all that, but I hope it ain't. I I take, I, take Le- I I take Lock-O-Rim. I really would take lock rim over it. if it comes down to a second or third round pick. And then uh, I'll take Don uh, Reisner in the second round and Evan
2: White or Bush uh, in the first round. All right. Well, thanks, Terrell. Appreciate you calling in. Uh, sorry you had to wait a little bit, but appreciate it, man. Uh, uh, no problem. Have a good one. All right. Thoughts on what he had to say, John?
3: Yeah. Um, like, the it was pretty clear the whole power dynamic shifted massively in the AFC North with Antonio Brown leaving the division, Odell Beckham Jr. Coming to the division, Earl Thomas coming to the Ravens, like the Ravens will always, I guess, eternally have an elite free safety in that defense. It wasn't just Earl Earl, it wasn't just Ed Reed. It wasn't just Eric Riddle. It's now Earl Thomas there. So you look around the division, I guess the Steelers haven't gotten better just like the Bengals, but the Ravens, the, the the division winners are still improving. They're still building around Lamar Jackson. They're still compensating for losses on their defense in appropriate ways. The Browns, like you have to respect what the Browns are doing and you have to respect the fact that they're in the best position to can compete in the AFC North for multiple years to come because yeah it's the Browns. There's a stigma with that, but there's also stigmas with the Bengals. The Bengals fans don't appreciate. So I think it's fair to judge what the Browns are right now and judge that they are in the best position to win the AFC North from the moves that they've done. They not only did they trade for the Beckham Jr. but they also trade for Olivier Vernon. They ended up giving they gave they gave up Kevin Zyler in the process but they drafted a guard pretty high that they feel comfortable in in putting in, and they did something with Kevin's that the Bengals probably should have done with Kevin's either before he let them go to Cleveland, and then then they brought in Sheldon Richardson at three technique for thirteen million a year, and they pretty much completed that defensive line. That defense line against the Bengals' offensive line is going to be a major mismatch for at least the next couple of years to come if the Bengals' offensive line doesn't improve drastically. The Browns, like they swept the Bengals last year, and that's probably at this point going to be a trend that's going to continue unless the Bengals make drastic changes of their own. And as we've seen from the first couple days for agency nothing has really changed, even though the coaching staff has changed.
2: Good points, John. We've got another caller, probably the last of the night, so we can get out of here. I believe it's uh, Josh, who is a a first-time caller, uh, correct? Is this Josh? Yeah, man, this is Josh. Definitely a
1: first-time caller, but a big Bengals fan since 05. Uh, born and raised in Cincinnati, and uh, that's kind of when I started understanding what football was and fell in love with the Bengals. But, uh, man, my question, just to get right to it, uh, A.J. Green, I understand he's got, like, one year left on his contract for about $15 million, and And uh, I'm just kind of trying to figure out, like, what we do with that. Like, do we re-sign it, restructure them or do we try to finesse our way into maybe moving up in the draft or even go for a big name in, like, free agency and just kind of see what we can do. Kind of give it his value in the market. Uh, thanks for taking my call, man. Big fan of the show, and uh, I'll be checking in from
2: here on out. I uh, appreciate it, man. Thanks for the compliment. Thanks for calling in. Uh, appreciate you you being patient and everything. Uh, always always nice to to hear a, a, a new voice and a complimentary new voice, right, John? Okay. Um, I, I look. I mean, I, <laughs> I don't know what the fans would do. Uh, from a PR perspective if Cincinnati decides to uh, if they trade aj green in an offseason that has just not really started off on the right foot between the coaching issues and uh, um, you know the the slow free agency start to me i mean right now as josh said right now is when you can get Draft capital and probably decent draft capital for an AJ Green. Um, the problem is, I, I mean, uh, there are so many polarizing quarterback prospects. I mean, I would, I would assume you would use that draft capital to get a, a quarterback of the future, right? right. Um, the problem is, is there with so many polarizing prospects in this class? I don't know that this is the year that you do it.
3: Yeah, and that's that's fair, and like the timing doesn't exactly you know, match up with, with everything. And what's important to know is that if you're trading AJ green, it's going to be somewhere. The, the, the compensation right now for a 30 year old going on 31 years old, coming off an injury riddled season. First time he he didn't make a pro bowl. It's It's going to be in between what the, what the giants got for the Beckham and what the Steelers got for Antonio Brown. So you're probably not, you're not getting a first round pick for AJ Green. I think that's pretty much established at this point. He's on the wrong side of 30. He's not the spring chicken like Beck, like Beckham is he's going into his third contract. So I don't, I don't think a first round pick is on the table unless it's like one of like the four, like the last four picks, of the first round, and even then, you're sure you You're going to probably like the Chiefs or the Patriots, like when you, your main competition in the, in the AFC. Those are two, or maybe not the Chiefs, but maybe more so the Patriots that could use them. So if you're getting a first round pick, it's going to be a late first round pick. Probably getting like a second, maybe along with a third round pick, maybe two seconds, maybe one of them is a future pick. So you have to you have to consider that's going to be the compensation, and that is compensation to what maybe Bengals fans hope that they could have gotten for Andy Dalton if they had traded him before before then. Because the whole goal is to get those assets to eventually move up to draft a quarterback if you don't end up finishing as one of the worst two teams in the NFL. But it's not impossible. I think Green fits along the lines of like Geno Atkins, who is just the type of player that would be comfortable accepting another deal with low guaranteed money. Like Atkins ended ended up signing well below – what Aaron Donald uh, eventually got a couple weeks later back in right before the 2018 season, it wasn't going to be anywhere like near where the market was for the, for the very top interior pass rushers. But he ended up signing anyways, because I think there's just that, that type of personality that the Bengals gravitate towards and everything that we've heard from AJ Green was that he wants to finish his career here. And, th- and th- those are just words and money ends end up being more important than what the words that these players speak. But, you know, AJ Green's happiness is really all that I care about. And if he wants to, go to a contender, I think the Bengals should honor that wish and end up trading him for the the most that they can get right now. But Green may want to finish his career here and may end up taking less actual money than he could end up getting on the open markets. So I think the plan for Green would be to Try to get him extended for for this year and not go into 2020 free agency because if they do, I don't think they're going to match the guaranteed money that Green will end up getting on the on the open market because even though he, he is going to be 31 years old, I think there will still be a substantial market for him because he is still a top five player at his position. He still has tremendous value. It's just not the long term value that would net a first round pick, I guess. And and I think if the Bengals were to trade him, undoubtedly it would be for a first round pick. And I just don't think that's that's going to happen.
2: Yeah, and and I'm just gonna try and I've got a, a small handful of points why I think they should not train him. I'm gonna try and be succinct with it. Um, number one, learn from Andrew Whitworth. Uh, I mean, left tackle and wide receiver are two different things, but the Bengals like to play to pay. Mike Brown does pay skill position players. Um, he pays tackles a, a lot too, but. Um, you know, one of your best players ever to walk through the doors. Don't let him go. Let him retire a bangle. Do the right thing. Pay him. The other thing is, again, I'll reiterate I don't know that trading him away for a young signal, signal caller is a good move um, because of the polarizing aspects of the players in this class. Also, you're doing a disservice right away to that signal caller by getting rid of a premier pass catching weapon. That
3: is true. That is true.
2: So, I mean, it's kind of like, well, wait, what are you doing? Um, I think you 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 hang on to him. He's probably got, like you said, John, two to three years of really good play left. You can extend Tyler Boyd, and you bring in a new quarterback to groom behind Andy Dalton, and you have those two guys lined up long term for this team. A new quarterback or new yeah new quarterback comes in and uses those weapons. I I, I mean I think that's. That just does an immediate disservice by doing that. And then the other thing is, if they free up 15 or so million of cap space by getting rid of A.J. Green and they move up to get a quarterback, do you believe that this team is going to use a substantial part of that money and outside free agency to get an impact player? I do not. No, uh, And at this point now, you would have wanted to dump that salary earlier to then get into the earlier part of the free agency fray and get one of the, another premier player at another position. So at this point, I just don't think it makes sense. I think, like you said, John, extend the guy, let him retire a Bengal, let him try and, you know, make a bid for the Hall, continue his bid for the Hall of Fame as a Bengals player. Why not keep him and, uh, you know, help out Andy Dalton, help out. The next quarterback that comes along as as he's here. Thanks for all the calls tonight, folks. Uh, thanks for for sticking with us. All of the comments in the live YouTube chat. All of uh, we got some texts as well. We just we are just low on time. Um, we've had a jam packed show as we probably expected with the onset of free agency. But we appreciate all the feedback, John. Any final thoughts um, before we get out of here, and or I mute myself for an extended period of time again.
3: I think we just learned a lot about what this franchise still is. And maybe some of us kind of jumped the gun and assumed that because they're bringing in a head coach who is used to an environment that is very open to bringing in outside talent in all feasible ways possible that that transition was going to happen overnight. But I think we realized that not only does Zach Taylor not have the influence to do that just yet, but perhaps maybe Duke Tobin isn't quite the, 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 doesn't quite have the role that we may have believed that he is. And maybe not only he not a GM in name, maybe he's just not a GM at all. And I think that there's still major questions that the Blackburn administration and uh, Mike Brown's influence or what his influence still is. I think there's still major question marks with that and how much has really changed going into this new era of Bengals football. If, if Zach Taylor's coaching staff can get the most out of right now, it looks to be most of the same roster going into 2019, then that's fine. But, there's still major questions with their process, and I think this this past couple of days have really opened a lot of eyes in that, and really have closed a lot of optimism. And there's still a lot of questions that this team needs to answer.
2: Yeah, I just um, you got to wonder what that what that you know young coach, first time head coach. Uh, I mean, does he sit here and did he know that this was going to be the process? Um, did he sign up for that, or did he think uh, and was told a different Route was going to be taken. Look, it, as we sit here right now, it's still just the first of actual day of free agency, but rumors are low. As we talked with uh, with Andre Parada, there's probably more rental deals um, on on the horizon. Nothing real substantial. Maybe these guys will come in and, and help, but um, you know, there's not a ton of franchise changing players out there at this point. Um, and and the Bengals have the capital to to still spend and make some moves but we'll see what they do you can get this show on itunes on stitcher on google play it's also on the megaphone platform you can get it on youtube and on cincyjungle.com our thanks to andre parada for joining us and giving us all kinds of great insight with the salary cap contract structures and everything uh, that has transpired with the Bengals so far and what may be transpiring uh, uh, in the days ahead, he's on Twitter at AndreParada13. So go check him out. Uh, we hope to have him on again soon. Thanks everybody for all of your feedback, all of your participation, calls, texts, everything. We're sorry we couldn't get to all of them, but uh, keep trying us. We'll try and get to those in the future. John, thanks man, appreciate it. See you guys. All right, have a good have a good rest of the week. We'll continue to keep you updated on all things Bengals. Uh, keep it at the Orange Black Insider
3: able to podcast. Keep it at More to dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this: high-quality leads